0: Welcome to The Darker Side, True Crime. I'm your host, Breaker. If you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend today. Before we start, I have a quick announcement. The podcast that I was on finally came out. It's on my website at www. TheDarkerSidePodcast.com I also tweeted it on Twitter Or just search Nature versus Narcissism On your favorite podcast app Okay, today we'll be jumping into the DeLorean And heading back to the 1970s To cover the kidnapping of the Harris of the Hurst fortune Patty Hurst with that said, on with the show. The Sibbonese, the Siboney's Liberation Army, or the SLA, which I will be referring to them as from here on, grew out of a black inmate organization, the Black Cultural Organization, active in California's Vacaville Prison in the late 1960s and early 70s, they formed just months before the kidnapping, coordinate, coordinated in a University of California Berkeley professor group, brought, brought white students including Russ Little and Willi- William For- Wolf, Wolfe to, to the prison to tutor prisoners in political science, black sociology, and African heritage. It had begun as an inmate self-help group. Over time, the BCA became more political, largely focused on black nationalism. One prisoner, Donald DeFries, who was serving time for armed robbery, formed a splinter group, Unisight, It became the basis for the SLA. Future SLA members Angela Atwood and Nancy Ling Perry also visited Vacaville to meet with radical prison groups. In the eyes of the young radicals, the black prisoners, no matter what their crime, took on heroic proportions as political prisoners oppressed by a racist and corrupt American society. In March 1973, De Vries escaped from prison and headed to his friends in Berkeley. With the help of Little and Wolf, he found shelter with two young white women, Nancy Ling Perry and oh, I'm going to screw this up. Patricia Sol- stick. In the meantime, a young couple, Bill and Emily Harris, had arrived in Berkeley with their friends Gary and Angela Atwood from Bloomington, Bloomington, Indiana, Indiana, excuse me. The Harrises and Angela Atwood soon joined radical groups and connected with DeFries and the others. By the end of the summer, Fiercely opposed to what they viewed as an oppressive racist society, the radicals formed the Sympionese Liberation Army. The militant loosely Marxist priorities included ending racism, monogamy, the prison system, and all other institutions that have made and sustained capitalism. Defries took the name General Field Marshal Clinique and became the group's leader. The black nationalist program included creating a system of homelands within the United States for minority groups. Armed with stolen weapons and funded by robberies the group trained in military maneuvers in the Berkeley Hills on November 6 the SLA stepped onto the public stage by murdering Black Oakland School school superintendent Marcus Foster the SLA had targeted Foster because he was because he supported an identification student system for students but by the time his murder had in fact withdrawn that support. He had withdrawn that support, excuse me. The SLA's crime announced the group as one capable of committing violent acts in the name of revolution, but it also brought down the scorn of the Berkeley left, most of whom found the political murder of a black man incomprehensible. The SLA members went into hiding after the Foster killing. Two months after, later, local police picked up Russ Little and Joel Romero on a traffic violation in a vehicle full of SLA weapons and propaganda leaflets. The two revolutionaries were then taken in for questioning and arrested for the Foster murder. Later that day, just ahead of the police. Nancy Ling Perry set fire to the Concord safe house. When police arrived, they found the house scorched but not burned down, leaving a significant amount of evidence intact. Wow, that's some story so far. Let's take a break right here and we're back on February 4 1974 their lives changed forever members of the Sibyanese Liberation Army or the SLA person to the apartment beating weed and abducting Hearst according to the journalist Tim Findlay, The kidnap was meant to be a prisoner swap. They meant to grab Patricia Hearst and trade her for Russ Little and Joe Romero, two SLA members who had been arrested and charged with the murder of Oakland School Superintendent Marcus Foster. Hearst's capture took her to a radical safe house where they confined her in a dark closet. Hearst had grown up in privilege in North California. Looking back, she would describe her childhood as really pretty perfect. Her family owned the Hearst Media Empire that her grandfather, William Randolph Hearst, had built in the earlier early 20th century. In 1974, she was living in Berkeley with a 26-year-old boyfriend, Stephen Weed, a former teacher at a Catholic high school and studying history. Hearst's parents did not approve of Weed and the domestic arrangement, but the two became engaged nevertheless. Hearst's kidnapping made headlines across the country. Camped out out on the lawn at the Hearst mansion reporters waited for the drama to unfold local police and the FBI searched for the missing girl too long days later on February 6 a letter arrived at Ber- at a Berkeley radio station KPFA the communique signed signed the SLA, called itself a warrant for the arrest of Patricia Campbell Hearst, including Patty Hearst's credit card and a warning that anyone attempting to interfere would be executed. The SLA announced all communications from this court must be published in full in all newspapers and all other forms of media. It made no demand for ransom. The Hearst family and the FBI were concerned that the SLA would make a political demand that would be impossible to meet, such as the release of SLA members Little and Ramiro. In a recording delivered on February 12 to KPFA, Patty Hurst told her parents that she was okay that she was not being starved or unnecessarily beaten. She told the police not to try to find her. SLA General Field Marshal Mm -hmm. Donald (laughs) DeFreeze made a demand for food to be distributed to the poor people in the area. Later, Hearst would say that during the first weeks, SLA members had confined her to a dark closet. When Patty's father, Randolph Hearst, replied that the demands of the SLA were impossible. Patty spoke in another communique on February 16, asking her parents to stop acting like I am dead. DeFreeze stated that the SLA was looking for a good faith gesture. I do have the recording of Patty here on February 12th, telling her parents that she's okay and for them to s- listen to her captors so that sh- she could go home. I also have the recording of Patty on the 16th, Telling her parents to stop acting like she's dead. I'll play the, I'll play them one after the other.
1: Mom, Dad, I'm okay. Um, I I had a few scrapes and stuff, but um, they washed them up and they're getting okay. And, caught a cold, but they're giving me pills for it, and so uh, I'm not being starved or beaten or unnecessarily frightened. Um, I've heard some press reports, and so I know that Steve and all the neighbors are okay, that no one was really hurt. And I also know that the SLA members here are very upset about press distortions of what's been happening. They have nothing to do with the August 7th movement, that they have not been shooting down helicopters or shooting down innocent people in the streets. I'm kept blindfolded usually so that I can't identify anyone. Um, my hands are are often tied, but not. I'm generally I'm they're not, and um, um, I'm not gagged or anything. I'm and I'm comfortable, and uh, I think you can tell that I'm not really terrified or anything. You no, know, I'm okay. I was very upset though to hear about um, the police rushing in on that house in Oakland and I was just really glad that I wasn't there and I would appreciate it if if everyone would just calm down and not try to find me and not be making identifications because um, they're not only endangering me but they're endangering themselves I'm with a combat unit that's armed with automatic weapons and um, there's also a medical team here and um, there's no way that I will be released until they let me go so it wouldn't do any good for somebody to come in here and try to get me out by force these people aren't just a bunch of nuts and they've been really honest with me but um, they're perfectly willing to die for what they're doing and I want to get out of here but i the only way I'm going to is if we do it their way and I just hope that You'll do what they say, Dad, and just do it quickly. Uh, I've been stopping and starting this tape myself t- so that I can collect my thoughts. That's, that's why there's so many stops in it. Um, I'm, I'm not being forced to say any of this. Um, I, I think it's really important that <laughs> you take their request very seriously about um, not arresting any other SLA members and and about following their good faith request to the letter. Um, I just want to get out of here and see everyone again and and be back with steve the sla is (coughs) is very interested in seeing how how you're taking this dad and they want to make sure that you are are really serious and, and listening to what they're saying um and they think that You've been taking this whole thing a lot more seriously than the police and the, the FBI and other federal people have been taking it. And, uh, It seems to be getting to the point where they're not worried about you so much as they're worrying about other people, or, or at least I am. It's, um... It's really up to you to make sure that these people don't don't jeopardize my life by charging in and doing stupid things. And I hope that you'll make sure that they don't do anything else like like that Oakland house business. These um the S.L.A. people really have been honest with me, and and I really—I mean—I feel pretty sure that that I'm going to get out of here if everything goes the way they want it to. And I think you should feel that way too, and and try not to worry so much. I mean, I know it's hard, but. I heard that mom was really upset and and that all everybody was at home and and I mean I hope that this puts you a little bit at ease so that and that you know that I that I really that I really am all right. Um I just hope I can get back to everybody really soon. The SLA has ideological ties with the IRA and the people's struggle in the Philippines and the socialist people in um, Puerto Rico and their struggle for independence. And they consider themselves to be soldiers who are fighting and aiding these people. I am a prisoner of war and so are the two men in San Quentin. I'm being treated in accordance with the Geneva Convention. One of the, the conditions being that I'm not being tried for crimes which I'm not responsible for. I'm here because I'm a member of a ruling class family and. I think you can begin to see the analogy with people in San, the two men in San Quentin are being held and and are going to be tried simply because they are members of the SLA and not because they've done anything. Um, witnesses to the shooting of Foster saw black men and um, and two white men have been arrested for this. Um, You're being told this so that um, you'll understand why I was kidnapped. Um, And so that you'll understand that whatever happens to the two prisoners is going to happen to me You have to understand that I am held to be innocent the same way that two men in San Quentin are innocent, that they are simply members of a group and had not actually done anything themselves to warrant their arrest. They apparently were part of an intelligence unit and have never executed anyone themselves. The SLA has declared war against the government, and it's important that you understand that this that they know what they're doing and that they understand what their actions mean. And that you realize that this is not considered by them to be just a simple kidnapping, and that you don't treat it that way and say, oh, well, I don't know why she was taken. I'm telling you now why this happened so that you'll know and so that you'll have something to use, some knowledge to try to get me out of here. If you can get the food thing organized before the 19th, then that's okay and it would just speed up my release. Um, today's Friday the 8th and in Kuwait the commandos negotiated the release of, the, of their hostages and they left the country by Dad, Mom, I'm making this tape to uh, let you know that I'm still okay and to explain a few things, I hope. Um, first, about the good faith gesture. There was some misunderstanding about that. And uh, you should just do what you can. I mean, they understand that that you want to meet their demands, and that, uh, and they real—I mean, they had every intention that you should be able to um, meet their demands. They weren't trying to present an unreasonable request. It was never intended that you feed the whole state. Um, so whatever you come up with, basically, is okay, and just do it as fast as you can. And everything's everything will be fine. Um, but the S.L.A. is really mad about um, <laughs> the certain attempts to uh, make receiving the food be, uh, you know, it, receiving goods that have been you know, gotten by extortion. And uh, they just they don't want people to be harassed by the police or by anybody else and um, I mean I hope you can do something about that and if you can't well I mean they'll do something about it so you shouldn't worry about that too much um, also I would like to emphasize that I am alive and that I am well and that uh, in spite of what certain tape experts seem to think I'm, I'm I mean i'm fine and uh it's really depressing though, to hear people talk about me like i'm dead and uh you know i just i can't explain what that's like what it does also is that it it begins to convince other people that maybe i am dead and uh, and when everybody is convinced that i am dead well then it gives the FBI an excuse to come in here and try to pull me out. And uh, I'm sure that Mr. Bates understands that uh, if the FBI has to come in and get me out by force, that they won't have time to decide who not to kill. They'll just have to kill everyone. And uh, you know, I don't particularly want to die that way. Um, and so I, I hope he will, um, Realize that everything is okay and that, um, you know, just to back off for a while, there'll be plenty of time for investigating later. I am basically an example and a symbolic warning not only to you but, um, to everyone that, uh, they're, that there are people that aren't going to accept. Um, to accept your support of, uh, of other governments and that uh, basically suppress and, and murder other people. And, uh, and this is a warning to everybody. And it's also to show what can be done when it's necessary, that people can be fed. And, it, and to show that it's too bad that it has to happen this way to make people see that pe- that there are people who need food. But, um, you know, maybe something can be done about that so that things like this won't have to happen again. And they're also, the is also very annoyed about attempts by the press and by authorities to turn this into a racial issue. It's not, this is a political issue and this is a political action that they've taken. And anyone who really reads the stated objectives of the SLA can see very clearly that this is not a racial thing. And uh, I hope there won't be any more confusion about that. turn over my notes here, so. Um, I am being held as a prisoner of war and not as anything else. I mean, and I'm being treated in accordance with international codes of war. And so, I mean, Dad, you shouldn't listen or believe what anybody else says about the way I'm being treated. This is the way that I am being treated. And I'm not left alone, and I'm not just... Shoved off. So I mean, I am fine, and uh, you know, I am not being starved, and I am not being beaten. Or really. Um, also, since I am an example, and it's really important that everybody understand that, you know, I am an example and a warning. And because of this, it's very important to the SLA that I return safely. And. Uh, so people should should stop acting like I'm dead, and, and Mom should get out of her black dress. That doesn't help at all. And uh, I mean, I, I wish you'd try to understand the position that I'm in. I'm mean, I'm right in the middle, and I have to depend on what all other all kinds of other people are going to do. And it's really it's really hard for me to hear. Rep- hear about reports, you know, and,
0: uh,
1: I mean, I hope you'll understand and try to do something. I know that a lot of people have written and, and are really concerned about me and my safety and about what you're going through. And... You know, I want them all to know that I'm okay and, and to understand that I'll be okay as long as the SLA demands are met and as long as the two prisoners in San Quentin are okay. And um and as long as the FBI doesn't come in here, I mean that's that is my biggest worry. Um because I because I think I can get out of here alive as long as they don't come busting in and i really think you should understand that the sla does have an interest in my returning and um, and so try not to worry so much and just do what you can and and i mean i know you're doing everything <laughs> well, Take care of Steve and. You know, story. Bye. On Wednesday, Solzhenitsyn was exiled to West Germany.
0: On February 19th, Hearst announced that he would create People in Need, a food distribution program. Their plan was to feed 100,000 people for 12 months with $2 million. In what must have seemed like a miracle to Berkeley's left-wing anti-poverty activists, People in Need began its work just a few days later. But the poorly organized program failed to fulfill the dream come true as riots over the food began. The ransom, ransom negotiations dragged on. Patty Hearst must have heard her father announce on TV that the SLA's $6 million demand was beyond his capabilities. Quote, the matter is now out of my hands, uh, unquote, he had said. His representative offered to pay $2 million for Patty's immediate release at another $2, mi- two million in January 1975. Though the food distributions went better over the next few weeks, Patty Hearst criticized her parents in a fourth recorded tape saying, I don't believe that you're doing anything at all. Her parents were convinced that she was being brainwashed, but Patty would later say, I felt my parents were debating how much I was worth. It was a horrible feeling that my parents could think of me in terms of dollars and cents. Inside the safe house, the SLA begins Patty's re-education. in a fifth tape recording sent to K-SAN radio station 59 days after the kidnapping. Patty Hurst denounced her family and claimed allegiance to the SLA and took the name Tanya. Two weeks later on April 15th and four SLA members were caught on surveillance camera holding up a branch office of the Hibernia Bank, and San Francisco. They got away with $10,000. Within a week, the FBI issued a wanted poster with pictures of Donald Defries, Patricia Michelle Soltzik, Nancy Ling Perry, Camilla Christine Hall, Patty Hearst, and Patty Hearst. Hearst was charged as a material witness, but in a sixth recorded tape, Patty offered evidence of her full participation, stating that in no time did her comrades ever have a gun pointed at her. She referred to her family as the Pig Hearst and to Stephen Weed, her fiancé, as an Ageist, sexist pig. She said the idea of her being ri- brainwashed was ridiculous. I have the recording that I, had, I just mentioned. I'll play it for you now.
1: To Those who would bear the hopes and future of our people, let the voice of their guns express the words of freedom. I would like to begin this statement by informing the public that I wrote what I'm about to say. It's what I feel. I've never been forced to say anything on any tape. Nor have I been brainwashed, drugged, tortured, hypnotized, or in any way confused. As George Jackson wrote, It's me, the way I want it, the way I see it. Mom, Dad, I would like to comment on your efforts to supposedly secure my safety. The people in need giveaway away was a sham. You attempted to deceive the people, the SLA, and me with statements about your concern for myself and the people. You were playing games, stalling for time, time which the FBI was using in their attempts to assassinate me and the SLA elements which guarded me. You continue to report that you did everything in your power to pave the way for negotiations for my release. I hate to believe that you could have been so unimaginative as to not even have considered getting Little and Romero released on bail. While it was repeatedly stated that my conditions would at all times correspond with those of the captured soldiers, when your own lawyer went to inspect the hole at San Quentin, he approved the deplorable conditions there another move which potentially jeopardized my safety. My mother's acceptance of the appointment to a second term as a UC regent, as you well knew, would have caused my immediate execution had the SLA been less than together about their political goals. Your actions have taught me a great lesson, and in a strange kind of way I'm grateful to you. Stephen, I know that you are beginning to realize that there is no such thing as neutrality in time of war. There can be no compromise, as your experience with the FBI must have shown you. You have been harassed by the FBI because of your supposed connections with so-called radicals, and some people have even gone so far as to suggest that I arranged my own arrest. We both know what really came down that Monday night, but you don't know what's happened since then. I've changed grown. I've become conscious and can never go back to the life we led before. What I'm saying may seem cold to you and to my old friends, but love doesn't mean the same thing to me anymore. My love has expanded as a result of my experiences to embrace all people. It's grown into an unselfish love for my comrades here in prison and on the streets. A love that comes from the knowledge that no one is free until we are all free. While I wish that you could be a comrade, I don't expect it. All I expect is that you try to understand the changes I've gone through. I've been given the choice of one, being released in a safe area, or two, joining the forces of the Symbionese Liberation Army and fighting for my freedom and the freedom of all oppressed people. I have chosen to stay and fight. One thing which I have learned is that the corporate ruling class will do anything in their power in order to maintain their position of control over the masses, even if this means the sacrifice of one of their own. It should be obvious that people who don't even care about their own children couldn't possibly care about anyone else's children. The things which are precious to these people are their money and power, and they will never willingly surrender either. People should not have to humiliate themselves by standing in lines in order to be fed, nor should they have to live in fear for their lives and the lives of their children, as Tyrone Guyton's mother will sadly attest to. Dad, you said that you were concerned with my life, and you also said that you were concerned with the life and interests of all oppressed people in this country, that you are a liar in both areas, and as a member of the ruling class, I know for sure that yours and mom's interests are never the interests of the people. Dad, you said that you would see about getting more job opportunities for the people, but why haven't you warned the people what's going to happen to them? That actually the few jobs they still have will be taken away. You, a corporate liar, of course will say that you don't know what I'm talking about, but I ask you then to prove it. Tell the poor and oppressed people of this nation what the corporate state is about to do. Warn black and poor people that they're about to be murdered down to the last man, woman, and child. If you're so interested in the people, why don't you tell them what the energy crisis really is? Tell them how it's nothing more than a manufactured strategy, a way of hiding industry's real intentions. Tell the people that the energy crisis is nothing more than a means to get public approval for a massive program to build nuclear power plants all over the nation. Tell the the people that the entire corporate state is, with the aid of this massive power supply, about to totally automate the entire industrial state to the point that in the next five years, all that will be needed will be a small class of button pushers. Tell the people, Dad, that all of the lower class and at least half of the middle class will be unemployed in the next three years and that the removal of expendable excess, the removal of unneeded people, has already started. I want you to tell the people the truth. Tell them how the law and order programs are just a means to remove so-called violent, meaning aware, individuals from the community in order to facilitate the controlled removal of unneeded labor forces from this country in the same way that Hitler controlled the removal of the Jews from Germany. I should have known that if you and the rest of the corporate state were willing to do this to millions of people to maintain power and to serve your needs, you would also kill me, if necessary, to serve those same needs. How long will it take before white people in this country understand that whatever happens to a black child happens sooner or later to a white child. How long will it be before we all understand that we must fight for our freedom? I have been given the name Tanya after a comrade who fought alongside Che in Bolivia for the people of Bolivia. I embraced the name with the determination to continue fighting with her spirit. There is no victory in half-assed attempts at revolution. I know Tanya dedicated her life to the people, fighting with total dedication and an intense desire to learn, which I will continue in the oppressed American people's revolution. All colors of string in the web of humanity yearn for freedom. Osceola and Beau, even though we've never met, I feel like I know you. and brought me to you, and I'm fighting with your freedom and the freedom of all prisoners in mind. In the strenuous jogs that life takes, you are pillars of strength to me. If I'm feeling down, I think of you, of where you are and why you are there, and my determination grows stronger. It's good to see that your spirits are so high in spite of the terrible conditions. Even though you aren't here, you're with other strong comrades, and the three of us are learning together. I, in an environment of love, and you, in one of hate, in the belly of the fascist beast. We have grown closer to the people and become stronger through our experiences. I have learned how vicious the pig really is, and our comrades are teaching me to attack with even greater viciousness in the knowledge that the people will win. I send greetings to Death Row Jeff, Al Taylor, and Raymond Scott. Your concern for my safety is matched by my concern for yours. We share a common goal as revolutionaries, knowing that Comrade George lives. It is in the spirit of Tanya that I say, Patria Muerte, venceremos.
0: The next day, the Los Angeles Police Department found SLA members Donald DeFries, Willie Wolf, Patricia Solstick, Camilla Hall, Angela Atwood and Nancy Ling Perry at an apartment in Compton. The SLA made use of its sizable arsenal in a televised gun battle with LAPD SWAT teams. Police set the house on fire with gas canisters and all six SLA members were killed. There was confusion over whether Hearst was among the, the dead, but the, but Harris's party, Harris's, and Patty Hearst had watched a shootout from their hotel room near Disneyland. The SLA had been weakened, but they still had their abductee, if indeed she was still being held against her will. A few weeks later. The remaining SLA members, Hearst and the Harrises, made contact with Kathy Solaya, Mike Borton, and several other future SLA members at a Berkeley ra- rally. On June 7, Hearst and the Harrises sent the media a recorded eulogy for the murdered, SL- murdered members of their group. Hearst proclaimed her love for Willie Wolfe and vowed that the SLA would continue its fight. The diminished group went into hiding. Toward the ending of 1974, with no further word from his daughter, Randolph Hearst withdrew his offer of $50,000 reward for her safe return. On April 21, 1975, four members of the SLA held up the Crocker Bank in Carmichael, California. During the holdup, Emily Harris shot and killed a bystander, Myrna Opsall. In September, Hearst Bill and Emily Harris and a new SLA member, Wendy Yoshimura, were arrested in San Francisco. When asked for her occupation while being b- booked, Patty Hearst told the officer, Urban, urban Guerrilla, excuse me. In a sensational trial in Mar- March 1976, represented by a well-known defense attorney, F. Lee Bailey, was found guilty of armed bank robbery and sentenced to seven years in in prison. She served 22 months before having her sentence commuted by President Jimmy Carter. Then President Bill Clinton fully pardoned Patty on his last full day in office. Bill and Emily Harris pleaded guilty to kidnapping Patty Hearst They served eight years in prison. It was the end of the SLA and its short-lived dangerous revolutionary dream. That was an interesting case that led to more questions than answers, really. Before I continue, I'd like to make a huge shout out to the FBI. The site was a huge help in putting this episode together. With that said, I found sites questioning if Patty was really brainwashed or not. She had books on her shelves about explosives and bomb making in the apartment that she shared with her then fiance before she was uh, kidnapped in my opinion they were just books on the other hand the SLA wasn't trained in brainwashing anyone of course the SLA wasn't the CIA the FBI the NSA or the KGB you should I I would think it would take weeks months or even longer to brainwash someone and it takes specialized techniques to do so as well she could have been that way already and her friends and family wouldn't have known people do keep secrets after all of course all of this is just conjecture we'll never really know Today Patty would be 66 and inherited inherited her father's fortune, yet no one will ever forget what she's done. The question I pose to my audience is, was there any justice served for the crimes that she committed? Feel free to drop me a line on the socials or email if you like. I'd really like to know what you think. With that said, this brings this episode to a close. Thank you for listening and subscribing to my podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast and tell a friend about this podcast today. Please rate and review this podcast if you like it. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any comments or suggestions for cases, feel free to email darkersidepod at yahoo.com. I'm also on Twitter as DarkersidePod and Instagram as DarkersidePodcast. Mahalo, and see you next time on The Darker Side.